Welcome to California Groundbreakers, a place that sets trends, starts movements, and shakes up how things are done around the world. We're inviting interesting people doing innovative things to sit down and talk with us about how they're asking and answering the big questions facing all Californians. Our goal is to inspire change across the state, one conversation at a time. In this podcast, we're taking a look at Sacramento's style. What is it? Do we have it yet? Do those two words go together at all? The movie Lady Bird has brought a lot of attention to Sacramento, and the city has been written up in national newspapers as a worthwhile place to visit. So now that the style spotlight is on us, what do we look like? When you think of Sacramento fashion, decor, and architecture, what do you see in how we dress, decorate, and live? How do we compare and contrast to San Francisco, Los Angeles, and the rest of California? Do we have a signature style yet? Or are we still coming into our own? We're in the auditorium at Clara for a style seminar with some of Sacramento's tastemakers and trendsetters. So hi everyone, I'm Vanessa Richardson. I'm executive director of California Groundbreakers, and welcome. Uh, We are doing cocktail conversations, uh, discussing what's going on in our headquarters, Sacramento, the capital of California, and what's going on all around the state, from politics and policy, to arts and ag, to education and environment. And we try to make them all fun by wheeling out the cocktail cart. And um, I having, we named these spring break cocktails out there today, because they're very light and refreshing, so. Um, they're really good. If you want to try some during the event, our bartenders are really jazzed and want to make some more. Tonight we're going to be really Sacramento-specific, and uh, this event was basically sparked by all the focus and attention on Lady Bird and how it brought a lot of attention to Sacramento, and we were f- featured in a lot of write-ups um, as a destination in the Washington Post, um, in the San Francisco Chronicle, the New York Times said... We had white linens and that was our cocktail. So now that the spotlight on is, is on us, what is that, what do we look like to the rest of the, the country? You know, what do they see when they come here and as a place to visit, live, and exist? So we're taking a look at specifically Sacramento style. We have done some events on arts and a lot of events on food. And now I, it would, I thought it'd be a good idea to take a look at Sacramento fashion, Sacramento architecture. Sacramento decor, what you, what we see when we, how we dress, how we decorate, how we live our lives. So I guess it's kind of, how do we compare and contrast to San Francisco, LA, the rest of California, or what is our signature style? Do we have one yet? So this is basically a style seminar, gathered some great tastemakers and trendsetters here in Sacramento. We have some great Sacramento-made drinks, Roostaller beer, burly beverages, so it's a fun event. I want to give special thanks to a few people, the most styling people that I know, because they helped me put this event together. Uh, Jay Swanson and Megan Wigand at Clara, we're in the auditorium here. Uh, I already mentioned Roostaller Beer and Burley Beverages for providing the drinks. Sorry about that. Uh, Also to Amanda and Matt Kennedy at the trade down the street. Uh, My volunteers who you have met out there when you bought tickets and drinks. Alan Young, Deb Colleen, um, and my mom, Yvonne Richardson, who was serving the food. Uh, also to the panelists, thank you for taking time out of your very busy schedule, and to you, the audience, for showing up. So for those in the podcast, it's going to be about 30, 40 minutes of me asking questions, followed by audience Q&A at the mic. 
I don't introduce the panelists. I let them introduce themselves because they know themselves best. But I always just I always like to start with besides your name and your current role or business that you run, uh, a personal note uh, about you and what you think, just so we all get a sense of what you think about Sacramento style right off the bat. So my question for you is, what place is most Sacramento to you today? Meaning, we have all these travel writers uh, writing, here's where you should go, here's where you could shop, here's where you should eat and play, but you live here. So if you have someone who's coming into town for the first time, where would you say to them, go to this place or do this thing? Because then you will get that, yes, I'm in Sacramento feeling. So I'm gonna start with the woman on my left. Hi everyone, my name is Josie Lee and I'm the owner of Ryer Boutique in Midtown and in Oak Park. To me, when I think of Sacramento, I think of the Tower Bridge. Um, the reason for that is because I grew up in Natomas and I did ballet in West Sac and we went through the Tower Bridge. So that was really special to me and that's what Sacramento is for me. Hi, I'm Maritza Davis. I'm the co-founder of Unseen Heroes, and we also have um, two retail stores, Display California and Damas. Um, okay, that that was a tough one, because there's a lot of Sacramento to me, and people always stop into our stores and ask, like, where would you go? Um, so I always start with Come Together, which is an event that happens in Oak Park, and then you get to eat food and meet people from the neighborhood, and so then I start there. Um, and then I tell everyone to go to Gunther's Ice Cream, and that feels very Sacramento to me. Um, it's just kind of an institution here, and it's a little sweet spot, so that's what I think of Sacramento. I'm Ryan Bro, and I'm the co-owner of Sacramento Fashion Week, and also um, Ethos Events. And I think for me, I grew up in Sacramento and Rockland, and one of the things that was always critical to me um, with the history of Sacramento and also how I tied in even coming down to Sacramento from Rockland was the river. Um, the river is a source of extreme history and financial wealth um, for the Sacramento region, and it is a place that uh, is central to the place making in the future for Sacramento. Um, and being able to reinvent how we use our waterways um, and how we use the real estate that's next to it. Um, and I think that's one of the things I'm most excited about for Sacramento looking in the future. Hi, my name is Phoebe Verkow. I'm the founder of The Dress Fiend and the uh, fabulous thrift tour that we just had. I am a native Midtowner, so I grew up in Midtown before it was really something, and art has always been an integral part of my life. So when I think of Sacramento, I naturally go to the Crocker Art Museum. It's the oldest for-use museum west of the Mississippi. It's something I went to as a kid. It's somewhere I worked. I studied art history, and anytime somebody says, where do I have to go? I always say the Crocker, because it's such a beautiful place, full of such rich history. Hi, I'm Jake Favor. Uh, I actually own my own business under the same name, and I'm also a partner in Douglas Sierra, which is a design-driven development company with my friend Nathan Wheeler right here. Um, I did actually not grow up here. I'm sorry, if, I don't know if that made sense, but I was actually born in Southern California. I grew up in uh, Nevada City, which is in the foothills, so obviously in the area. I spent most of my life in Northern California. Um, but I've been in Sacramento for about 20 years now. Um, when people ask me, I think, what Sacramento is specifically, I don't have like one go-to spot. I mean, I, I, there's the places that I go, but I think in that kind of true 
curatorial kind of thing. Like I, I make a suggestion or recommendation based on the person. So I'll ask them, you know, if I know them, what are you into? If they're a foodie, if they're a cocktail person, if they're a fashion person, and if I know what they're into, then I'm going to choose what that is based on them, not on me. It's a reflection of, you know, that, that person. Where's the last place then that you sent someone to that you remember? Answer the question, Jake. <laughs> I thought I just did. Um, Give us space, please. Um, Booty. I honestly can't recall. I know. I'm, I'm being vague. There's, there's no one spot. I mean, um, there's always the good neighborhood restaurants, the spots that we go to hang out and just kind of commiserate. But uh, when it comes to people coming to town, I, I try to take them everywhere. You know, if they're here for three days, we're going to hit everything I can think of that they're going to love. I'll take them up to the foothills. I'll drive them to Tahoe. I don't care. Like, if I want them to get the flavor of this place, it's not like go there and get a coffee. That's not, it's not a mocha. It's a, like, it's bigger than that, you know? That's it. That's my answer, Marisa. So, shh. I'm Anthony. I own uh, Anthony's Barbershop, Bottle and Barlow, which is a bar barbershop, Bastille Barbers, and Victory Crown Barber Co., which is a hair product line. Obviously, I'm a barber. I don't know if you can tell by the names. Um, I also did not grow up in Sacramento. I grew up up in Chico, but I did spend a lot of time down here playing in bands and just Sacramento events, not a whole lot going on in Chico. Um, I do agree with Jake that I, I, I mean, in the barbershop, I do get a lot of new people uh, coming to town, just new to the area or visiting. Um, I do try to cater to them. Um, I always do recommend the first Fridays in the wall building and uh, Shady Lady, because to me, that's was the first place that started to reshape the face of downtown. That's great. I should mention for at least here, us here in the audience, uh, we have a radio station tower, I guess, just right down the street. So there's a little reverb coming from the... Uh, so we're going to have a little background music, most likely, but hopefully not too much. So yeah, that's one thing I did notice when I was researching all of you in terms of most of you did grow up in Sacramento, but NorCal, there's not anyone who moved here from the East Coast or you're, you're pretty close. So I thought that was uh, interesting because obviously there's a lot of people moving here uh, to Sacramento from Bay Area, SoCal, out of state. So we'll be talking about that a little later. I have a question for each one of you in terms of Sacramento style. And I'm gonna start off with Josie since you're sitting to my left. Um, we'll start off with fashion questions. And uh, you started, well, you had a fashion blog and now you're a boutique owner. So I was curious in terms of, you know, growing up here, starting a blog, starting Ryer, I'm going to say rear because I took French in school, so that's how I know it's rear. Um, what do you see as Sacramento's fashion taste overall? And how has that changed, if it has, over the years since you started your blog and you noticed uh, people dressing and coming in? So I had the blog a long time ago, and um, this, this fashion business wanted to work with me, and they sent me something that was messed up and... I thought it was so unethical, and if they could be in business, maybe I could start a business too. So that was about five, six years ago. And in that time, I've got to learn. I've never worked in retail before, so I was learning as I was going. And a lot of my customers, I noticed, they wanted things that they could wear for multiple seasons, multiple years. Um, the styles were more relaxed, kind of just casual, but still, still polished, still put together. Um, 
and I feel like that's that's kind of what I've been going for. A lot of my customers are just young professionals. Um, some of them are just trying to figure out what they want to do in their life, and yeah, I just I feel <laughs> I feel like it's just casual for me. Yeah, because I went to your I went to the boutique. I took some photos. I did ask Josie pull out some things from the shelves, the items that show what Sacramento style is, casual and comfortable. Soft, seem to be the keywords and soft, soft things. Yeah, um, a lot of my customers are definitely willing to try new tre trends, try new things, which is really cool. Um, but still, there's still a little bit of customers that aren't sure. They they want to try it, but they're not quite there. Um, so it's really cool to kind of give them the extra push for things that are a little bit more fashion forward. And they'll try it. Yeah, definitely. That's great. So Phoebe, a similar question for you. Since you grew up here, you had have the Dress Fiend blog, and I noticed on your Facebook page you changed your job title to uh, owner of the Fabulous Thrift Tour. And I met Phoebe, uh, I guess last Saturday before last, you were doing a Fabulous Thrift Tour, which was sold out, so congrats. And uh, I thought, obviously, there's interest in thrifting for great fashion. And Lady Bird obviously brought a lot of attention to Thrift Town, right? They did, they filmed there. So I think that's great because when I see photos of you on Facebook and the blog, you are really stylish. And it's amazing to me how when you say, I only got this whole outfit for 20 bucks or this dress for five, it's like, wow, you're really put together. And it seems like, in, to me, in some ways, you really stand out as a fashion iconoclast in Sacramento. So similar question for you that I asked Josie in terms of how has Sacramento style and, and fashion taste changed in your opinion since you have grown up here, since you started your blog? If anything has changed, what do you notice in the past few years? You know, Sacramento style, like, you know, the, one of the questions I had heard, is it going to be L.A.? Is it going to be San Francisco? It's not, because we are uniquely our own. Sacramento style is eclectic, it's creative, and we use what we have around us. You know, we don't have the Chanel boutiques, the Gucci or anything like that laid out. People are forced to go to places like thrift stores and to think outside the creative box. That's what I do all the time. And I started thrifting as a necessity as a kid because we grew up really poor. My mom was a tailor, so I learned the good quality of fabric and how things are made. And when you go to a thrift store, you don't know what you're going to find. And a lot of people in Sacramento, you know, you have Freestyle Clothing Exchange on 19th and L. You have Racks Vintage, or you have the Antique Fair. And when I walk down the street and I look around, which I do, I always have my camera with me, I notice that people are mixing a lot of vintage with contemporary pieces and making it their own now. It's not anything kind of specific style-wise, but I think that's what makes it even more special. You know, you walk in, and it's like, I love art, obviously. That's really my background. I have a little Andy Warhol skirt, but I paired it with a J. Crew top. And my belt was 50 cents at Thrift Town, the one on El Camino. You know, it is. You find the diamond in the rough there. And it really is so cool, you know, growing up in Midtown before it was the cool place. But what I've noticed from the age of 4 to 35 now is that something I saw that little light that was going then of art has evolved into something so absolutely beautiful. And same with fashion. It's evolving and it's creative. It's artistic. They're both are going, art and fashion are hand in hand, in my opinion, in Sacramento right now. So yeah, staying with the, the uh, 
fashion and fashion design and production. Ryan, I have a question for you as uh, co-owner of Sacramento Fashion Week. I just wanted briefly the, the story of how Sacramento Fashion Week started. You know, why the decision that Sacramento needed one, why it was the time, and how it has changed year over year since you started. Because I, I feel like it's February when you had your most recent one. And, and what, was, what was that one like in terms of numbers? That was the... Yeah, so that was our 12th year, 12th year. <clears throat> um, my seventh year at the organization. And in my seven years, it's changed tremendously. Um, the, from its inception, the whole point was for it to be a safe space for all parts of fashion. It's not just the clothing. It's not just the makeup. It's not just the hair. And it's not just a, a designer or ready to wear. It's also thrift stores or boutique shows. And it really kind of grew from something that didn't exist, quite frankly, anywhere in any fashion weeks in the country. There was never a place that was approachable for all industries that are involved in the end product that you see walking down a catwalk in Paris or walking down a catwalk in Milan. Um, and that's why ours, even to this day, is very unique and different because it provides educational services that anyone can go to and that anyone can feel that they're welcome to, no matter how short of time or long of time you've been in the industry or been just a lover or, or admirer of fashion. So um, while a lot has changed, um, the one thing that hasn't changed is its inclusivity. Um, for everyone in the community. Um, and we always strive to continue to make that part of it better and better, just like we try to make the production value um, a little bit better and also the platform stronger so that we can build designers and models and everyone in the industry um, to feel confident they can then, then they can go grow their career and represent Sacramento as they grow their career around the world. And proud to say that we've had models and designers um, truly be part of fashion around the world, um, and they got their start here. Um, and it allows Sacramento to make a small mark um, on the fashion industry globally, and that's a great kind of grassroots, um, local to global look at uh, our influence. So in terms of, I guess, are there any uh, themes in terms of um, the designers that we have here and how they dress, you know, comfort and casual or art and eclectic? What are some words that you think would capture um, the essence, I guess, of designers here? I think that there isn't one word because we are, because of our inclusivity, um, and if you were there for our February show, there is complete streetwear where it's something that you see ready to wear at many stores, and it does have a unique Sacramento twist, but then you also do have couture items that are going down the runway. Uh, and we don't want to ever box in our designers that are local here because if we did that, we would no longer be reflective of the Sacramento style and the Sacramento culture. So I think this, it being a safe zone is what I would say is one of the most uh, important things that we offer um, because you do see a very casual design. And I, I will say that we have more designers trying to put an influence of a casual aesthetic as part of their show, even if they are also going to do some couture pieces or some high-end pieces. Um, and I, I think that is something that is unique to Sacramento that you don't see at other fashion shows. People feel like they need to stay in a box a lot more in these well-established organizations or these uh, communities that are much more corporate-run or it is ran like a business. We still try to have the idea of the art behind it and the passion behind it drive every decision we make as opposed to it making sense on paper or to shareholders or to something like that. All right, so my next question is for Anthony, because men's style, it just seems like in the past few years, 10 years, 
you see so many styling men all over, you know, hair, grooming products, um, the narrow suits, you know, I see all the guys in the Capitol always wearing brown shoes, black is out. So it's interesting to me how men's style has really boosted its profile in the past few years. And um, in terms of Sacramento's, Sacramento specific style, um, there's always a long line uh, waiting outside of Anthony's every time I drive by. And um, and then obviously Bottle and Barlow has a really specific, unique vibe for um, uh, what you offer. So I wanted to see, in your point of view, what you see you know, uh, in your business and just how you live your life. What is Sacramento style in terms of men's taste in grooming, in fashion, in style in general? Um, yeah. Uh, well, Sacramento is a very, very diverse town. There's a, a lot of different uh, ethnicities here. So I wouldn't say that there's really one specific style for men's cuts. That's something that I really enjoy about cutting hair in Sacramento. I do. I'm a, a national educator, international educator for my own products and for a few major brands. So I do get to cut hair all over the world. Um, and a lot of other areas. I was just in Boise actually this morning. And it's uh, not quite as diverse, so it's a lot easier to put your put your thumb on what their style has been in Sacramento. We are so diverse that it, it keeps it interesting for me as a as a haircutting professional. I'm not doing the same haircut over and over. I don't want to do you know the side part a thousand times. It's don't get me wrong. I love that haircut, but I like to break it up. I don't want things to get monotonous. Um, but I I mostly for what I see as men's style is is just very wearable, easy, casual. You know, a lot of a lot of the haircuts we're doing and the hair products that I'm selling now are just loose and easy. I have a question. When you're saying, uh, you know, you don't want to do the standard side part, are you seeing a lot of men who come in and say, "Yeah, I don't want the standard side part either." They're they're trying different cuts. You know, they're they're willing to you know um, style it up in, in in ways that are less you know conservative or what is it? It, de it depends on the person. Um. Yeah. I mean, people come in. In, in, in my industry, people get uh, people are very comfortable with the way they look. So if you change them too drastically, too quickly, they don't look right to themselves. So it kind of freaks them out. So, I mean, I always say it's like when you get a new tattoo, like you always notice it. You always look right at it, but after a year, you don't even notice it's there. Um, so hair is kind of similar where if you change them too quickly, um, what I try to do personally is when someone does come in my shop, I try to, I just grill them on what they're looking for. And then I try to slowly push them into something that's a little more modern and a little more fun to do. But I don't, if you come in and you get, you know, an inch on the sides, I'm not going to be like, yeah, let's take it down to skin. And I have a part two question for you. And that's, that's focusing, I guess, on the, um, I guess the decor, the design that you have at Bottle and Barlow, even Anthony's and, and Bastille, because um, barbershop culture, I mean, obviously that's a, a, a gathering place for guys, you know, they bring in beer right at Anthony's, you, you uh, talk about whatever. Uh, it seems like it's, a, um, it's elevated above the standard barbershop where my dad would go to, or maybe it's not. I'm just curious in terms of like uh, gathering place and how it looks at Bottle and Barlow and Anthony's, did you have a certain way of what you wanted it to be uh, that reflected what you know you wanted guys to feel like and when they came in? Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, I see what you're saying. Uh, to me, uh, Anthony's is obviously a huge reflection of me personally. It, I mean, it's called Anthony's Barbershop. So, uh, but it's all, a lot of the decor in there is straight out of my house. A lot of the tattoo prints and the band posters and you know those are bands I played in or played with 
um, tattoo art friends, you know, local artists, friends of mine that, that gave me pieces. My opinion is that when you're developing a business that's got to be aesthetically pleasing, that it should be a direct reflection of the owner. Um, you know, that's why Bottle and Barlow, even though aesthetically it's got kind of a art deco punk rock vibe, we still have that punk rock vibe. Uh, Jason, my partner and I, we actually met from playing in punk rock bands when we were teenagers. You know, that's why we have, and then we wanted to set more of a tone for the whole place, so that's why we have the PMA posters, Positive Mental Attitude, that's a, a heavy, you know, punk rock influence thing. Uh, in Bastille, I actually partnered with one of my main barbers from Bottle and Barlow, and he's much more of a you know, motorcycle, Harleys kind of guy. I think that the business, and that's a reflection of him, who he is. I think the business should reflect the person that owns it. You know, and that's that's one of the things I do love about Sacramento is that that's kind of what we're, we're cultivating. It is relatively inexpensive to get into owning a business here. Your square footage isn't bad compared to a lot of other cities in the, in the state of California. Um, but that's what I think Sacramento style is and should be. We shouldn't be so pressured to create a Sacramento style. We shouldn't be trying to copy somewhere else. We're never going to be San Francisco. We're never going to be LA. We're never going to be Portland. We don't have the same things that they have. We have different people with different experiences. And that to me is what creates a style. So that segues into my question for Jake in terms of kind of the design and decor and the exteriors interiors of sacramento because you you had a lot to do with the look of lowbrow and um while the public market which are two very you know notable spots in sacramento so what's what do you see is what's notable about our city's interiors our exteriors what's not how do you because uh, i know you have an opinion on sacramento style so in terms of the visual architecture what do you see well i guess the um the short answer is i actually don't think we have style I think, I know that's a bold statement because a lot of people really identify with this sense of personality and uniqueness, but I think when you talk about style, it's important to understand what style is. I actually went and looked it up a couple days ago. Like, we all, we all know what it means to us, but I actually want to know, like, what is the definition of style? And it's actually a distinct appearance by design. And I think that's a really interesting statement because it means that it is distinct. If you look like something else, if you act like something else, you are not distinct. And so I think what we have in Sacramento is we have in personal style. Phoebe has style. Ryan has style. Anthony has style. Maritza has style. Everybody, Josie, I got you too. Um, everybody has style, but I think when you talk about Sacramento style, that implies a collective style. So if I were to go to another city, another state, another country and say, what does Sacramento look like? I would almost guarantee that no one could tell you. They can't say, oh, it's this hat with these shoes and you gotta wear denim in this style or this colorway with this like acid wash but only on the left leg. Like it's not, we don't have a collective style. And so when you talk about architecture and interiors, I actually think that architecture is, is much like fashion that a building is actually not comprised of just the look it's a composition put together by different materials different people different methods the designers the architects and that collective piece is like an outfit right shoes or like bricks or whatever you want to make comparison so i don't think we have a collective style here i don't think that we have an interior style an architectural vernacular they have a word for it in architecture called vernacular and 
we have a lot of beautiful buildings, but they go from Victorian to Craftsman to mid-century modern to California Ranch to Cape Cod, Salt Box, like you can go on and on and on. And so those to me are like individual people. They have individual character and they have individual style, but collectively we do not have a vernacular. We have not found that. And part of it is that we're, such, we're so young as a state, we're actually one of the last states in the, in the country so that we have you know, almost less than 200 years difference between the first founding states on the East Coast and us. So you can actually watch the, the kind of the dissolve of style as it migrates across to the West. And so we kind of have a little smattering of Victorian, a little bit of this, a little bit of that, but we really haven't been here that long. This is 165 years. That's a very short time period versus like Milan, which is over a thousand years of history. So collectively, I wouldn't say that we have an architectural design style. We have a little bit of individual expression, but we haven't really achieved that yet. So Maritza, last but not least, I have a question. I guess it ties into the one that I asked Jake, because you have businesses that, that touch on various things. I mean, unseen heroes with events and, and gathering spaces and Display California, which focuses on uh, items and pieces that reflect California, not just Sacramento, but I guess <clears throat> California style, <clears throat> excuse me. And so I went there, like I went to a Josie's boutique and I asked me, so what, what looks, what's Sacramento style? You know, what do you see? And she, and she uh, had some things that she said. So I guess I just wanted you to talk to us more in detail about, you know, when you, when you think about what to put in display, you know, what is to you the, I guess the California in terms of objects and items that you have in your store? And, and what do Sacramentans, when they come in, what do they respond to you most? What do they say, oh, that's me. That's what I want in my house. So I would agree with Jake. I always use this kind of analogy. I'm like Sacramento, but not only that, California, we're like teenagers. That's just where we are in our stage right now. We're teenagers where you're kind of awkward. I mean, you don't know quite exactly what your style is going to be. Am I going to be punk rock? Am I going to be like a little chola fit? Am I going to be preppy? Am I going to, you know, so like I kind of reflect that in my style a little bit. I don't, I still, you know, I'm always trying to kind of play with it, but I feel like it's an expression of who we are. Um, I do think that we are emerging with a style, but then I travel internationally and I, I start to see kind of in different cities too, people really just kind of want to define themselves. Like, I think there's so many people in here. I mean, look around and this will tell you the style of our city. I mean, look at each other. There's, you know, the, this, is, this is who we are and that's okay. And we're just kind of awkward teenagers right now. And that's fine as in terms of like the development of where we are. Um, as Californians, so I do a lot of like up and down the coast and in like the farm areas. I mean, you name it, I'll touch it because I, I just find our state intriguing. And that's why we created Display California because we wanted a platform for people all over the state. Um, and we're California, like we're fucking awesome. And every, like literally everyone from California and people say, oh my God, do you surf? And I'm like, no, I don't, but damn, I wish I did, you know, but it, I mean, just, we're a great state and I think we need to embrace that. And as Sacramentans, we're kind of coming into our own and we're starting to emerge and it's really exciting right now to be here. Um, as far as the way that we select for our stores, um, you know, California, we're very, the, the, from all the way north to all the way south, there's so much difference, right? There's 
mountains with snow and it's cold and you're having to kind of, you know, survive for your life because you're freezing and you're getting furs and leathers and all that. I, I just, I'm not really a big cold person, but, you know, our, because you kind of like, oh, when I, like, people want to go to Tahoe and I'm like, oh, yeah, you go. Uh, I mean, I know how to ski and snowboard and stuff, but it's just like, it's too cold. Um, and then you come through the, you know, the Central Valley and it's so interesting because there's actually this like other culture there where there's a lot of diversity and, you know, some people are working in our farms and we have this huge, rich um, agriculture land and, and they're wearing like really dope boots and denim that's like thick and great jackets. And so, I mean, and, and then the, the items that they use are very different from the people that are, you know, farther up north. And then you come to the coast and everyone there's kind of like chilled and relaxed or, or they're like really uppity and they're, you know, buying Chanel bags and they're buying Gucci products. And, you know, you're going to Newport beach and you have to like wear your best of the best. Cause everyone there is just like super fly. And, you know, it, it's, and then you go down to San Diego and you're getting closer to the border and the style changes there also so I just you know from what we select is we really look all around our state and kind of pick different items that really reflect what people want and need and also what can really tell the story so you know we're always t talking about in, in on our team like the golden state and we bring a lot of gold in we bring a lot of I, I love black and white so you know I a lot of the store reflects what what um, I like because it's I have to pay the money and invest in it so I'm gonna do what I like but anyways it's you know black and white and things of that nature so when it comes to style I really think that we're starting to define ourselves just like teenagers do um, you know music and the uh, shoes that you wear and and you know all of those different styles as you start to grow up a little bit and we're growing up and we're seeing that right in front of our eyes so I'm going to open questions to uh, panelists. I have one more uh, before I ask questions, ask the audience to ask questions. But I guess in terms of style, when we put this event on Facebook, uh, there were right off the bat there were comments like, "What Sacramento has style, and why do we need to be stylish? Keep Midtown janky, and you know, why, let's just keep it low key because that's what we are." And I was wondering what your reaction was to that. You know, in terms of Sacramento, does it have its own style? Does it need to have style? Maybe our style is to be low key and under the radar. So, what's your thoughts? I guess about style backlash. Phoebe, would you like to start? I would. Hi. <laughs> I'm like, let me get in here. Look, to each their own. Honestly, Sacramento, like, like Maritza just said, everybody in here is different, and that is okay. Our style is different, and that is okay. I may want to do a beehive, but Maritza might not, you know? It's just each of us does our own thing here, and that is truly what I love about this city, honestly. And that, you know, really, I think once we kind of look at it, the cool thing and the unique thing about Sacramento is we are different, and we are the teenagers figuring ourselves out, but it's kind of a beautiful thing. So I love it. Keep thrifting. Ryan. To piggyback on that, but also what was said by a couple other panelists, I think that historically clothing was either for your profession or it was for uh, climate. And I think we are we have two luxuries being in Sacramento is that we do have a little bit more of a temperate climate. So what we wear is not dictated by the weather necessarily. Um, and secondly, since we are a city full of, uh, I would say more of an entrepreneurial spirit, take the capital out of it, um, but an entrepreneurial spirit, we are not defined by our jobs on having to wear a suit or having to wear something. 
So since we have so much freedom and we can define our own style or our own sense of self through our clothing, um, I, I think it is going to take us longer to find what Sacramento style is. Because by definition, no one is defining what that is or, or putting us into a box. If we're in New York, it's a financial capital of the world. And there, you are still going to wear a suit. If I'm in business meetings there, I am still in a suit. Um, and in LA, there's so much of the entertainment industry that um, it drives some of their style. So we are in a very unique position. We can call it teenager or what we want. But um, I think the combination of climate and not having, again, take the capital out of it, but other than that, not having a defined industry that drives most of our GDP, I think that allows us to probably perpetually not have an individual style for the city, but have um, the, our style is our individuality and our ability to um, be free to always have that evolve. Jake? Uh, I think, you know, to Maritza's point, like, that sense of adolescence was actually a perfect analogy for Ladybird, was that it was universally um, approachable because everybody's had that sense of insecurity and kind of, like, confusion and self-confidence and fear, and, and we, we are very much an adolescent region, not just, you know, as a city, but as a region, and I think what's interesting is... Um, to have a sense this idea of defined style means that there's actually a, a, a movement, right, where a, a whole group of people decide, like, this is us, this is our identity, and then it has to evolve outside of the area to be recognized as a, as a style. And it's interesting because I think today, with especially with the Internet and the globalization of industry and everything, when a new pair of sneakers drops, it is instant success worldwide. If Supreme does it, if it's the new Yeezy Boost, whatever, when products hit the market, it's no longer centralized to that location or whatever store. It's like when it drops at midnight, people are around the world online consuming. So the sense of location or, or, or locality relative to a look doesn't exist anymore. I could build a French chateau in Lincoln tomorrow if I had the money. And I could make it more French than any French chateau you've ever seen. But that, we're not defined by regionalism anymore. It doesn't exist. And we will only find a style if it organically happens. It's not by choice. It's going to have to literally be a grassroots movement that literally just spreads like wildfire. And even then, people are going to be adopting it the same day in another city somewhere else. So I'm going to open up the mic to anyone who has questions. If you want to line up and, um, and ask questions, because uh, I know the audience always has good ones, uh, please do. Um, you know, I was thinking about that in terms of Sacramento. Uh, who would who would our celebrities be? I guess I mean not that that pertains to fashion, but in terms of attitude. And I always I always think of Jerry Brown and uh, Javier Becerra, like firebrands, you know, fighting against Trump. And and we are a government town. I think people still think about that. But we, especially uh, the past year and a half, right? We have been in the headlines in terms of what's been going on uh, with California versus, in many cases, Washington, D.C. I was just wondering in terms of, I don't know, this question just came off the top of my head, but in terms of Sacramento style, in terms of our place as a government town, in terms of our place as a very, you know, blue, the headquarters of a very blue state, do you see that reflect in any way in terms of how we go about our lives, how we style ourselves, uh, or that's just, you know, a separate thing? 
I don't know. I, I just thought of that. It might be the Burley Beverages cocktail, but Ryan. The, when you say that in the connection between that, if you go to D.C. versus here, um, there isn't the freedom to... Uh, to kind of take a traditional suit or take a traditional government business wear and think outside of the box. R. Douglas here, I think, was one of the first ones who was able to start a small business and and allowed a safe space, I think, or, or the freedom for people in the capital to explore what a new idea of professional political wear would look like. And um, R. Douglas is a menswear yes, designer, custom uh, suits. Yeah, menswear, custom suits. Uh, that really took off in the capital. And I think they were the ones actually probably who pushed the professional envelope before the general public did. And in my recollection, there it's the first time where a such a staunch, strict political group was actually pushing the envelope of fashion as opposed to the fashion industry influencing the business professionals. And it was kind of flipping that idea of, of fashion and growing within fashion on its head. Jake? I think they actually had, um, they had the room to do it, too. That menswear had never really died off in Europe, right? The Milanese, the Pituomo, like are the big menswear shows, they never went away. We just moved away from it. I mean, as Americans, we just, we just gave up the suits and we gave up the dress wear. We knew that we could actually show up in sweatpants and people weren't going to judge us any less. And the tech industry drove that because it made the slacker genius acceptable. So then all of a sudden, when menswear swung back the other way and guys like Ryan started to get in Ben you know, Schwartz and Benjamin Shoes, they actually just opened up the conversation and said, look, dandyism is alive and well. You just have to know how to rock it. You're just not educated because you've been buying suits at JCPenney's for too long. So now you can do things like pocket squares and guys are like, holy shit, I can do that. And, and so Ryan actually just opened up, I think, traditional flair in style and in fashion that, that for men that had never known that they could pull it off. And it took someone like a tailor to say, dude, you look great. You could do this. Don't be scared. And, and his, uh, his shop is right next to Ella, right? It's right on the Capitol, J, J Street, K Street Mall. Okay. All right, there always has to be a groundbreaker who I will entice to ask that first question. Okay. Kara's not scared. Come on, girl. Kara's not scared. And, and you will get a free drink ticket. So if you want a cocktail after this, that will be your reward. Hey. All right, so first question at the mic. All right, good evening, everyone. My name is Kara Ricks. I'm from Carmichael, California, currently living in Midtown, though I did a short stint in Los Angeles, seven years for school. Um, my question is, and I don't want to force anybody to be negative, but my question is, what do we need to shed or shirk off of ourselves? What do you want to see in your industry or your vertical end so that we can move forward? Not to be a long-winded uh, guest here, but I work in the web industry, and one of the things that we're trying to push our clients away from is rotating banners across the top of the homepage. Programmatically, they're difficult to code. Um, they don't work super well and responsive when everything comes down. Plus, it is a reflection of the, um, the business owner's interest to put information out there and less a reflection of how people actually use websites and the fact that less than 1% of people actually look through all of those. So anyway, my question to anybody who's interested is um, what do you feel we need to get rid of in order to move forward? What does it take to get rid of our rotating banners? Right. <laughs> Who wants to take that? Anthony. Uh, I, I think really the biggest thing that, that Sacramento, as far as a business owner is concerned, is the, the discount-driven attitude. 
this town is a as a always looking for a deal you know at, at the bar i feel like we do a really good happy hour and people it's like well, well what are you doing for me now what's the new deal that i can get and it's just like like this stuff's not cheap, man. We put our heart and soul into this and you want me to like cut my own throat on it and give it to you for even less of a margin than I'm already working on. Like just a, a respect for the the craft. It's not, we're not Applebee's, you know, we're, we're getting a lot of independent businesses here in Midtown. We're not Applebee's. We can't race you to the bottom. Like we, we have expenses too. And you know, every, every year, I know you guys all know this, that, you know, every year we get taxed more and we get minimum wages going up and up and I just that I would like to see, you know, less of a deal driven mindset and less of a negative attitude. I think a lot of people in Sacramento, you know, Midtown specifically, um, it's like, like we've all been saying, and I've said it myself was it's a very diverse town. So if you don't like something that doesn't mean that it's stupid or that, you know, it's, it's a bad idea. That's just not your thing. This, this constant hate on everything that's new or just absolute praise of everything that's new, you know, just kind of take things in and see what they are. And, you know, I, I get, I used to get a lot of criticism for, for Anthony's barbershop because it is a, is a very, you know, punk rock, very aggressive shop and people <laughs> just light me up on, on Yelp just purely. And my response was like, well, maybe it's just not the place for you, man. doesn't mean I'm a bad person. doesn't mean that I run a bad business. It's just, Maybe you're looking for somewhere else. So less hate and uh, the willingness to open up the pocketbook a little bit. That's why I stopped coming to you. <laughs> Remember that shit? I used to come with my daughter. She was like three and you guys were like, fuck this, fuck that. <laughs> so I went and found somebody else. Sorry, bro. Ryan. To piggyback on that, I, I think that's a really critical point. You um, you said you can't race to the bottom. I think we're in a unique space, not just in fashion, but in, in marketing and kind of a retail environment in general that everyone is trying to be everything to everyone. Um, every high in fashion, not every, but most high in fashion designers have now had a line at Target or they've had a line you know, at another very approachable or attainable brand um, at a much lower price point. And I think it is hard for a local company, and I see this with the, other, with the fashion designers that launched at fa uh, SAC Fashion Week, that they want to be everything to everyone. And I do think we kind of do have to swing back a little bit and be okay with saying no to clients and saying no to ideas that may just not fit within our business model. Um, and to your point of the banners, it should be okay for someone to say, I know that's what everyone's doing, but I don't need to do that. I know that everyone's having a cheaper happy hour, but I don't need to do that. Um, and I think that transcends fashion into every industry right now. And it has to do with the sense of entitlement that our buyers have. And we have to retrain our buyers, uh, whether that be a website or fashion line, that we may be right for you, we may not. So I think that was a really good point. Yeah, sure, Jake, go ahead. To Kara's point too, it's, and what Ryan just said is, I know that's what other people are doing, and that's exactly why we shouldn't do it. Yeah. Defy, defy convention. We have to stop following other people on everything. It's not a race to be like the next guy to do everything that's acceptable and desired. It's our job, or I think it's some of our jobs to, to sh you know, shuck that off and do something different because no one else has done it before. And that's why we have to do it. And I have a, I have a question uh, pertaining to what Anthony started off with in terms of price. One of the questions I had was, where, where 
does Sacramento spend their money when it comes to style? I think it's so interesting, like grilled cheese festival, I mean, and I, I, food seems to be a big deal. Grilled cheese festival, I think tickets are selling for 55 to 65. It will probably sell out. And I think, wow, I mean, I grilled cheese. Um, but in terms of, you know, uh, fashion, like obviously thrifting is a big deal, but where would people, and you see in your experience, where do they like to spend their money for being stylish or, or dressing good? Where do they, they, where are they resistant? And obviously there's some resistance there, Anthony, but for the rest of you, you know, what will they spend money on? What will they not? Maritza. So uh, from my experience, when people come into our shops, where they'll spend money on is actually things that are really beautifully handcrafted and well-branded. I mean, that's, and they will spend that extra money because in our store, it's not for everybody, right? In some ways, we try to make it accessible to everyone. But in other ways, when they look at a tray that someone took their time to really put, you know, put together, hand paint it, decoupage it. I mean, there's so many steps involved. Um, and then they look at the price like, oh, I could just get this at like Target for 10 bucks. I'm always like, okay, well, there, there's only 25 of those, you know, which is different. But there's also the people that will actually come and spend, and I'm seeing it more and more, they'll spend money, they'll spend a little more money on things that are locally crafted or handcrafted. And I think that's really amazing. And um, also things that have stories. We love to tell the stories of the designers and the makers and the brands that are all behind the scenes really trying to make this work. And I think that's where people will spend their money if they like what they're hearing and they really genuinely like the people, they're going to come and spend their money and, and want to really embrace and support it. So they respond to the stories behind yeah. the items. For sure. Phoebe. I'm just going to quickly jump in on that. So on the thrift tour that I just did last Saturday, I did a thrift store, I did a buy-sell trade, and I did a consignment store. And I wanted to kind of show the range. Like some people really do want the expensive stuff, but maybe they can't quite afford it, but you have something like a consignment store for more of the business kind of person. You know, in Sacramento, like a lot of us artists like really couldn't afford like nice clothes. But for me, like I'm a snot, like I like nice stuff, but I can't quite afford it. But now there's these different levels of stores that kind of allow you to really have a nice wardrobe too. So it's, yeah, there's a lot of good stuff out there. Next question. This is an agree or disagree for each of you. Once you can be defined, is it time to redefine yourself? Have you plateaued and will you have to go down and change yourself? Or is that a good thing? Is being defined a good thing? Jesse. I think it's a good thing if you can figure out what you're into, what what your style is not everyone's going to find it so i think once you get to that point when you discover your style that's a good thing i don't think you need to change it so long as you're happy with it i mean it's your it's you you do you right i agree i think i don't <laughs> um so i i would say you always need to be changing That'd be my answer. So I would disagree that you just stay in where you are. Um, and I like to be slightly uncomfortable and always be changing. I mean, that's where many of our concepts are based on anyways, is just the evolvingness of thing. And I think that in order for expansion and growth, you need to be changing. I think an individual um, can stay the same categorically, but you should explore um, different variations within that style. Um, but I think a city should always evolve their style or their identity or how they define that. 
I would have to agree with that. You know, if you get somewhere, you can. Like for me, fashion is always evolving. Who I was two years ago is not. Maybe the hair, but <laughs> that's not going away. But you know, you are always evolving, and I think it's fun to kind of stand out. One of my favorite quotes is Dr. Seuss: "Is why why to fit in when you were born to stand out?" You know, we continue doing that. We continue evolving, and you never—that's art too. It never stopped. Never stop being creative. Uh, I'm going to dodge that question again. Just, um, it's, I think the answers are too, they're, they're too vague. I mean, it's like, if you want to, I mean, I dress in all black, so what do I know about standing out? But um, it's, it's a personal choice. If you want to be known for distinction, then be distinct. I think about people like Iris Apfel, right? Everybody loves Iris because she's just in, like does the stuff that nobody else would do. The ridiculous amounts of jewelry, the glasses, I mean, she's just like legend, but that's her thing. And to Ryan's point, she innovates within her wardrobe, but we all know her signature look. She was the same way 50 years ago that she is today. For those of you who don't know her, look her up, you'll love it. There's a great movie on her on Netflix. Um, but you know, from a city standpoint, yes, you, uh, you, learning and evolving is essential, but you can also do that internally without changing your outward expression. So some people want to stand out, some people want to shrink back and they want to hide and be obscure. And I think innovation is something that you, you seek out either personally or individually, and you don't always have to do it. I think some people are totally comfortable where they are and they can continue to rock that style for a long time. And some of the best cities in the world have stayed that way forever, and that's what makes them charming. So if, like again, those old cities in Rome and stuff, if Rome was all about innovation, it wouldn't be cool. If Venice was all about, like, we don't like water anymore, we're gonna change this, not cool anymore. So I'd say that's a personal choice. So I agree and disagree. I'd say as a person, it's not a bad thing to be defined as long as you're always trying to push that envelope. You know, we all know the, like the stereotypical jock, right? That, you know, their best years were in high school in their 45 now. And <laughs> don't, give, don't give me that opportunity, man. <laughs> uh, you know, we don't want to be that person. Uh, but as a city, I, I, I think that we, we do need to be defined better. I think that's one of the problems that we do have here in Sacramento is there is nothing that defines us. You know, San Francisco, we, we need somebody to find us that drives the city. San Francisco is defined by a financial district and by a port. So it drives jobs, it drives growth, it's defined by tech. It has something that drives it, something that defines it. You know, Portland, Seattle, the, you know, Pacific Northwest, uh, fishing and agriculture and something that drives it, that defines it. So I, I think we need to find that here in Sacramento. Ryan. A really quick piece of like anecdotal kind of evidence on that. I think if you look at Roman architecture, there's three different types of pillars and columns that are used. And so you might look at something from really far back from bird's eye and say, oh my God, it's all the same. But when you go really deep into architecture and deep into Corinthian column versus this versus that, you start to see the little details. And once we do define our style more in Sacramento, we will be pushed to look at the details and push, pushed to find things like quality and things that you don't always see. But until we do that, we're two bird's eye, we're 2,000 feet in the air. Next question. Sure. Um, I think I, my name's Rebecca. And I have a couple of friends up there. Um, I thought I heard you say that we are diverse as a culture and socioeconomically, and our style is individualistic. 
So in the 90s, I lived in Midtown, and I worked for the government. And when I went shopping, I always looked for shoes followed by purses because that's what my grandma did, right? I like them to match or complement each other or have a conversation with one another. Uh, and so my kids always say, oh gosh, mom got new shoes, next comes a purse. So I would like to know when each of you go shopping, what is the first thing you look for? Is it for your home? Is it your shoes? Is it your tie? Is it some certain kind of sheets? I don't know. I'm just curious what each of you, when you were to go shopping on the internet or in a store physically, what's the first thing you're drawn to? And, and what you would spend money on, maybe? Sure, okay. Who would like to take that first? Josie. Since owning my own business, I haven't really spent too much money on myself. <laughs> it just all goes back into the business. But honestly, I spend the most money on my dogs. Like, so much money on them. They have bow ties, they have sweaters, two beds in every room. <laughs> it, yeah. But um, for me, my favorite is socks. I'm kind of like Josie. I have three boys, but I have a secret. Something I have to admit is I'm a sneakerhead, so I collect sneakers. And so I always buy shoes. So when, you know, Jake's talking about like sneakers dropping on there, I'm like, that was me. And that was me a long time ago. And that's been just a part of my culture um, growing up. So now with my kids, I do the same thing. So my poor six-year-old already has like a sneaker poster where he's putting stickers on all the collections that he's starting and all the sneakers that he has. Um, but it's, again, it's like a part of who we are and, and what like our you know our culture is all about so that's just I always go for the shoes first I think that really says what you're you know it, it just defines actually I don't really care if my shoes don't match what I'm wearing either sometimes if they're just interesting and cool and my, my parents are real stylistas also so when you know that was always what they taught us like your shoes always must look good first and then the rest of it comes together so I spend my money on shoes and um, yes that's that's it when Maritza and I were at a conference in San Francisco, she was literally shopping for shoes during the event as the guy was presenting on stage. Like he's like, he named the company and she's pulled out her phone and started shopping like right there. I've heard all this, I can buy, buy shoes. Oh, yeah. all, yes. all birds, they're like a tech <laughs> shoe sneaker. Very comfortable, you can wash them wool. Anyways, what what color birds. did you get? Gray. All right. And I got some for my son. All right, Ryan, what about you? Um, I tend to stick, and tonight's no different, um, black, white, navy, and gray. Um, and I'm all about textures. So I'm my, most of my closet is those four colors, and it's easy when I pack and travel. I do travel a lot, so for me it's all about textures, but monochromatic. Um, they're gonna go for my life in Sacramento or if I'm traveling to New York. Can you guess what I like? <laughs> <laughs> my blog name, my, my alter ego is the dress fiend. Because I'm a fiend for dresses. I've been collecting them since I was a kid. And, you know, I'm going to be that old lady walking down the street with my clothing rack and my 50 dresses. I know it. I'm okay with it. Uh, my thing is if I go in, you know, I shop thrift or vintage. Like my drug of choice is a vintage dress. And I walk in and that, like, that gets me going when I find something spectacular well made. I might have an entire storage full of them. I was curious to, I wanted to know how big your closet was if you turned one room or more into a closet. I was just curious about that. Or you can, you rotate them out of storage or, okay. So it is a storage space and you bring them out to the closet? It is, yeah. It's a storage. <laughs> no shame. I have, I have a storage. It started when I really got into it again, like in the back of the apartment. 
And then it grew to a section of the room. And then my bedroom went to the dining room and the whole bedroom was a closet. I mean, it's okay. There are worse things to love and be obsessed with. So yeah, my, mine's definitely dresses. I love them. Jake? Uh, for myself, I buy books and art supplies. The last like style thing that I actually bought was two pairs of Chuck Taylors for my daughter. Uh, I have an obsession with Hawaiian shirts because I need to be more colorful. I think that's very eclectic. See, so yeah, all these different things and different items that we all like. All right, how about the next question at the mic? Thank you. Uh, I'm Julie Bruce. I'm a musician and artist in this town. I've been here for many, many years, and I just wanted to say, Anthony, I've noticed your effect on style in this town to a very great degree, in addition to all the tattoo parlors. I mean, when I think uh, Sacramento style, I think tattoos, because that's what's been happening for 20, 25 years, right? Uh, I do, but all of you made great points about not having great stores to shop at. There's no Gucci. Everyone goes thrifting. Everyone's trying to find a good deal. Uh, we're all very DIY in this town. Uh, I don't know if you know that most people were seamstresses until about the 60s. Everyone was doing their own thing. Everyone who does anything in this town, they have to do it themselves. That is the beauty of this place. And so I thank you all for trying to get people not to wear sweatpants because when I see people wearing a match sweatpants set, I just want to go talk to them. So thank you for being there for that. Um, but I, what I want to say, I have, kind of have a, a comment and a question, which is you all talked about the diversity of this town and that we're teenagers. And I would like to say, as having been one of them that came here, many people come here from all over the world all the time, over and over again. We're one of the most diverse towns in the entire country. How would you address that in the way that you present the style that you would sell to people because we're incredibly diverse and that is literally why I came here is because I was so excited about all the culture that was here. Um, and uh, how would you do that? And then I'll also say this, Molly Ringwald is from Sacramento. Lady Bird, she's also from Sacramento. But dude, Molly Ringwald, you saw her in those movies picking out stuff in the thrift stores. What do you do? You do the exact same thing. So just think of Molly Ringwald and think of literally every culture here. How are you going to make everyone feel like they can come into your shop and feel like there's something there for them? That would be my question. And thank you all for being here. Thank you for finding sweatpants. And I, I just want to give a shout out. You have a very cool outfit on. I really like. Thank you I like very your... much. I mean, Molly Ringwald, I'm, I'm a broke musician. I mean, this is what I have to do. But if I had to go to a, a, a regular store, I mean... I don't know. I, I would love to get like that $100 piece probably, but I can't afford it, but I do what I can. You're not doing <laughs> bad. So, so yeah, that's a great question because I had that too. We are one of the most diverse cities in the U.S. So making diversity part of our style, you know, how do we integrate all the cultures that we have in this town into a stylish melting pot? Are we doing a good job at that or could we do better? If so, how? Who would like to start? Maritza? I think we could do better. Um, I don't think we embrace the diversity at all. Um, in fact, there's a beautiful store in Elk Grove in a, in a strip mall that does a lot of really beautiful Indian saris that we could probably integrate into some of our styles. Um, you go into, you know, again, I, I the South Sacramento area. Um, I grew up there. So if you're in South Sacramento, you, I mean, you can just drive down and find some really beautiful like Mexican fabrics that you can also make really great pants out of or, you know, I mean, there's just so much diversity there. I don't think that we embrace all of it around us at all. Um, I think that there's a real opportunity to do that. Um, 
and really learn from each other's cultures too in terms of the fashion. My um, Yaya was uh, um, Greek for grandmother. She was a seamstress also and she taught at Parsons in New York City and we used to go on little journeys together um, where she would kind of teach me about fabrics and, and how all of those things felt and the importance of really embracing and looking at different cultures and what their... Um, how they tailored their outfits and things of that nature. And it was so interesting because she would take me into neighborhoods and, and she loved thrifting and she loved high-end stores and just really would show me what the difference is, but also what the similarities were. Um, and a lot of the ornate pieces. And I, I just don't think we've gone there yet to really say like, it's okay to go into this store and pick up, you know, some of this fabric and make a really cool pair of pants out of, you know, this this cool material and then go into this other store and grab that. So I think we have a long way to go. Um, I see that in other cities that I travel to. It's, you know, New York, they do a lot of great um, textures and fabrics from all over the world. You'll see like Peruvian fabrics mixed in with some like Cuban, you know, like funky bright things. So it's just, it's really interesting to me that we have this at our fingertips, but I don't think a lot of people even think to kind of get out of their little, you know, neighborhood radius or their comfort to, to, embrace what that is. Phoebe. You know, I think people are starting to, I, I'm, like I said, I'm from here, and I think of people like Vanessa, who owns Heart Boutique. I went to high school with her. I like to see kind of how she, how would you define that, her style, Maritza? I would say she's very um, urban, chic, and edgy. Yeah. I love, yeah, I love her style. I love, where is it? Heart, Heart Boutique. Boutique is on Capitol and 19th. Yeah, that, I mean, like, I don't, for me, that's, I definitely, like, she has kind of brought that area into a style in a store. She's amazing. And going back to, my mom was a seamstress. She had her own line. She made all of our clothes. We'd go to the thrift stores. We'd get the best fabric, cheap. And that's why I'm kind of a snot when it comes to, and I can find it. But I think people, you know, what's neat and what brings my heart so much joy, walking down the street and actually seeing people wear things of substance, you know, like a vintage piece somebody made, right? And one of my pet peeves, I watch a lot of documentaries, I'm a super nerd that way, but this idea of fast fashion. And it's easy for Sacramento, you think 10 years ago, and you know, I went to UC Davis and I saw it a lot there too, we were trying to conform. I think that was, you know, where you say we were the kids trying to conform before, and you go to Forever 21 and pick out something that's gonna last you a few washes. Now you're seeing people wearing things that are made. Like I love her story. She has you have things that people actually spend time making, and you know picking out a vintage piece. I know it's not going to fall apart because if it's lasted 60 years, it's probably going to last another 60 years. And it looks good. Keep keep on shopping vintage. You look great, Josie. Um, I think to follow up with what they, what they had said, um, I don't think that we're a melting pot, and I don't think we want to be a melting pot. Um, we're more like a salad bowl where each, <laughs> for real, like each uh, culture, each, um, e everyone's different style, you have like bits and pieces that you add that make something great. Um, and you know, with the melting pot, it's just where everything gets blended in, and I guess that's where we would be if we had a style. And, um, <laughs> melting pot yeah. is creepy. So I think I think we want to be a salad bowl, and then to include all the different cultures, all the different styles, all the different fabrics, and to make something great. Brian, 
I think um, the fashion industry at large is partly to blame to that. Um, the go-to-market strategy now has just changed, and what you see on the runways is almost ready for production or is ready for production. And so the buyers that are at a show in New York are ready for that to go into the stores within a couple months, um, where in the past you were able to be very broad and outlandish with your designs, and then the buyers would tell you what direction to go or how to refine something. So I think in general the, the fashion industry at large has kind of ruined the ability for designers to think outside of the box quite as far as they used to. And also we have a kind of a flattening landscape of fashion where when it's launched into a Fifth Avenue, it is also being launched into Target because everyone has such a quick go-to-market strategy and such a quick distribution method and, and, um, and design method and, and kind of design flow through. Um, so I think it's the consumer's job to dictate that we want something different. And it's the consumer's job to say, we want something that's outside of the box and we use our wallets to show them that. That's good. All right, uh, two more questions at the mic then. Hello and thanks. My name is Alan. I'm the token father of three, standing before you with a question. I've roamed these mean streets as a kid in the 80s then again later as a teacher and then a principal. I've been to Milan, and Sacramento is not only one of the most diverse cities in the nation, but one of the most diverse cities in the world. And I know you all know that because you're nodding your heads. Beehives are nodding. I was a director of a school in Fresno. Let that soak in. Fresno. I recently was asked to officiate a wedding here in Sacramento of two of my former students, one of the highest honors of any educator. Dress me, what would you wear? Uh, what month will this be happening? Great question, and April. So next month. True. All right, uh, suggestions, who wants to start? Is it in a church or is it outside? It is a non-religious wedding. Non-religious wedding. Okay. Next month. Next month, Locate. is it indoor, outdoor? I'm officiating, I okay. not, I'm sure yeah. there's some indoor, there's some outdoor happening. Okay. <laughs> I'll be singing as well. Marisa, what would you recommend? I like classic. I think you don't want to, you know, outdo the groom nor the bride. Um, There's no no issue with that, I'm sure. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. So as a mother of three who's coming to you, um, who knows how hard it is to get in, uh, uh, dressed okay. with three children, yeah. I would keep it simple and classic. And um, because when they look back at their wedding photos, they're going to want to see someone who, you know, looks really nice and presents. I would do black slacks, nice black slacks. I would go to black shoes, not go brown. I don't know. I just like traditional look. And then a nice white crisp shirt, really cool cufflinks, and a bow tie. You can find those. I like bow ties on officiants. Just looks official. And fun socks. And socks. Good socks. <laughs> Let's see. Yeah. That would be a little more fun. A little more, <laughs> you know, wedding-ish. And then a nice jacket. So that's what I would recommend. Phoebe, you want to add? I think classic, you, can, you can't go wrong. Classic is good. And if you are on a budget for something like that, check out Article Consignment. Um, Abe is great, the owner, and he can definitely help you, gear you in the right direction. They might even have something there. I, they probably will. Don't forget a belt, a good belt. 
That's all. Okay, same with the guys. I would Anthony. Just, <laughs> I would just say make sure it fits. Make sure it fits in the shoulders and in the, the, the seam line. And that's now I'm I'm self conscious of the outfit I'm wearing, just so you know. And and my hair. As I mentioned yes, earlier. Hair, I think you hair, look great. I you... think you look great. We'll talk. Thank you. <laughs> All right. And and the question that came from our bartender uh, who I wanted to say thank you, Alan, for the excellent drinks. Next question, please. I was gonna go wedding singer, like Adam Sandler, <laughs> right? All polyester. Anyway. I'm Jill, um, I'm from the Bay Area, I moved here about 14 years ago, and I grew to love Sacramento, I'm a convert. Um, my only, I didn't come here expecting to have style defined for me, um, but I was kind of surprised that I didn't see any designers here, because the, everything that we're talking about, being organic and how we evolve and you know coming straight from who we are in Sacramento, we have so many great local designers here, and they're not here to, to sort of speak for themselves. And um, they're here, they're in town, I know they There's are. There's a couple in the audience. Support your local designers, that's it. Thank when you say designers, you mean fashion designers, yes. specifically? Clothing. Okay. I mean, people are doing upcycling, like Scotha, yeah. Scotha Allison. I, I definitely upcycle a lot of my things and change around. So, well, yeah, I, I did have Ryan here to kind of represent, but uh, in terms of, I guess, the visibility of designers, you know, and getting the word out about them, you know, what can we do more of, I guess, us, you know, besides buy their clothes, but where can we find these designers uh, when it's not Sacramento Fashion Week? Yeah, so we actually, I, I don't think people realize how great of schools we have here that um, there are, we show roughly um, anywhere between 12 um, to 19 designers, depending on the year, um, every February. But that is just a fraction of the talent that's here in town. Um, and the schools here in town um, also throw fashion shows and, and have different events. So I would really, I mean, even simply Googling Sacramento fashion schools, um, get involved and encourage them and help promote them. Um, because there is great talent here. I'm fortunate enough to, like I said, work with between 12 and 19 a year um, through Fashion Week and see the passion that they go um, through to get their clothes on the, on the runway. Um, one of the biggest challenges we have here, um, and if there was a way that someone or collectively in this room we can do, is we don't have production facilities that are affordable for new designers to actually go get their stuff made um, or to even have a sample run done. So it's very difficult for designers to go from um, concept to get something in front of a buyer. Um, so if that was one takeaway that I would say we should do in the community is come together and say, how do we get something from conception um, to the racks and partner with a boutique that allows them to just have one size run because a new designer can't do 12 runs of a size four or, or, you know, or whatever the case may be. I'm happy to support any of, um, so our store Damas and display, but Damas is for women by women. So any female designer maker brand that is, you know, making their product and wants to put their stuff in, we're happy. I actually prefer smaller lots from designers. So any of them. Yeah. And then same thing with display. If it's a men's, uh, product, we are always seeking, we get a lot of men who ask for things. I mean, we, we carry official and some of the other, you know, Sacramento based men's companies, but, um, 
we are always seeking those designers out and we want to support them. That's why we designed our stores. We put a tremendous amount of love and care and financing behind it. And my husband and I have bootstrapped the, you know, these stores for the last four years. So we really find that we want these designers. And one of the biggest challenges that Anthony touched on earlier was that um, though our rent here is a, a quite affordable compared to other cities. It's also still very expensive in the state of California and the city of Sacramento to run an independent business. Um, not only that, as a designer to go into production, there aren't any facilities here that really um, hone that and where you can go and, and go from concept into an actual line. Um, and that's why a lot of the designers that I know have moved to LA um, because you have that right in your backyard. You can easily take it into a um, a warehouse and start to get them produced and actually create your own line in an affordable manner. Um, though it's a little more expensive to live in LA, the accessibility is there. Jake, yeah, sure. Uh, I think that actually speaks to, to like a, a bigger issue, right, in Sacramento is connectivity and resources. And that's not just specific to uh, fashion, but, you know, interiors, furniture, you know, rapid prototyping, technology, designing and making anything today is getting uh, easier in a lot of regards. But when you don't have uh, an organized collective or trade unions, then a lot of the people that want to make things don't have the tools to make them. Uh, they might have the vision, but they don't have the way, to, one, to make you know, sample runs, prototypes, the early phase stuff, just to get to that next phase of fundraising, investment, or whatever they're gonna do. And that's actually a, a more widespread issue, even in other industries, architecture, interiors, and everything that kind of surrounds it. So that's actually a, a bigger problem as we talk about creative economy, how do we bolster the community, how do we, how do we give artists and, uh, the power and the resources they need and connectivity is number one. So one last question at the mic, and then I have a quick question to wrap it up. Sure, and actually this would key off from what you're saying. In answer to your very first question, I would send people to a second Saturday because that really represents Sacramento well. It's got the food, it's got the music, and it's got the art. And I guess the point I would make is that uh, I don't think you have style unless you have culture and a scene, and that that the style arises out of that. Certainly there are individual people who can be stylistic, have their own styles, but if you're gonna have a regional culture or a regional style, it has to come from a regional culture. And there's actually been a lot of time spent on that, studies that have been done recently where cities are trying to figure out how they can develop a unique culture, an artistic culture. This goes back to what somebody else said about art and style being connected. So I guess my question would be understanding that I almost, I work for government, but still I have the sense that anything government touches is likely to ruin style or ruin culture, but still there's some discussion about um, allowing busking on the streets, for example, um, which may not s directly affect clothing styles, but establishes a context if you can do more of that. So I guess my question is what can the city do to help foster a culture and then ultimately style? And I will wrap up, I'll add my last question for that. We'll make that the, the last one because I it, mine's kind of similar to that in terms of, you know, Sacramento is changing, obviously. You know, Golden One and uh, the Bay Area effect has been talked about in many uh, panels that we've had, people coming in from elsewhere. Um, there's obviously a change in, you know, housing prices and, and, and dining options, and a lot of change is happening here. So in terms of regional culture, it seems like it is changing from inside out in many ways, but it also might be affected by what's coming in. So in terms of what, you know, in terms of creating a regional culture or a Sacramento culture, 
what would you like to see uh, come in or, or come out uh, the culture? And then I guess what do you predict is going to happen, I guess, based on all the uh, influences that you see affecting the city? So I know it's a very philosophical question, but uh, yeah, what do you want to see more of in terms of creating uh, a culture that reflects Sacramento in all its glory? Deep, I know. All right, Maritza <laughs> or Ryan. Okay. Okay, I'll, I'll go. I'll go first. Um, I think that to your point, um, we we the government can touch things um, and sometimes ruin the artistic side because of procedural um, items or bureaucracy. But if they fund something and allow creatives to run it with oversight, I do think that it can be very effective. You know, we spent, I think, $225 million on the Golden One Arena, which is a wonderful use of public funds, and it will reinvigorate kind of the downtown. But $1 million probably could fund a facility so that designers could have their stuff go to market for 10 years. Um, because once we have that ups, once we have that going, and we can partner with boutiques, and it can be self-sufficient, um, it can really run like a business. It's not a new business; it's been done, and it does work, and it is financially successful. But it is not going to be for that first million dollars. So, if there's one thing we could do, is to have government investment with private oversight um, for us to be able to fund that. And you know, and I personally would be happy to be involved with that and help be that oversight. Um, and I know that every designer that we work with every year at Sacramento Fashion Week would love to be able to say, my one favorite piece that the crowd loved, can I go to production with that and just see how it works? And the learning that those designers would have and the uh, financial influence or success that they have would speak volumes, and I can tell you almost every one of them would reinvest into something that allowed them to have a leg up on their dream. Um, but we do need funding, either private or public, to let their dream come to life. I think one of the successes somewhat that we're starting to see roll out was a creative economy grant, right, that was given out. So it was kind of a freedom of um, people having access to funds for the first time um, in a long time where creatives got to pitch uh, their idea on what the needs were, ba were on based on our community. Is, I don't know who's, if you're not familiar, look up the Creative Economy Grant. Um, so that itself kind of was that first touch of maybe government helping and just not really having their hand in it, but saying, look, privately, you guys oversee your own projects. And then we just want to report back to see how it does. We opened Display Annex, which was the opportunity to let independent designers start their own stores for you know one to 30 days or any sort of designer to get that going because that alone the overhead to start a store is or any sort of business in itself is very expensive so instead we had a lot of those assets and we said why don't we just allow people to come in and for a month run your own boutique see if it's successful and how people respond to it and if they love it they love it so for the you know for every month right now we have pretty much several of those uh of the months booked with anything from a furniture maker to a gentleman who's a Kandama competitor and um, to another gal who wrote a book who's going to make an art installation. Um, so there's a lot of opportunity there. I think that we need to stop 
asking also like just waiting, waiting for it, but just getting it done. And I, you know, we saw that success when we worked with the good street food and design market, when we start, or when we started the good street food and design market, we stopped waiting for someone else to say what design and define what design was in our city and to give the people the platform. So instead we're like, we're going to take an empty warehouse and let's just transform it into a modern day marketplace. Frankly, one, I think it was a little ahead of its time Two the support that we got from that particular district wasn't, they didn't get it. They didn't understand what it was. Where and was, it was it? It was in Del Paso. So it was, um, you know, they were trying to rebrand as the design district. They wanted to create spaces where a lot of people could come and rent out and start to have fabrication spots, um, furniture makers, et cetera. But really those that, you know, the board and things of that nature, they just didn't understand what that was and they didn't, they didn't get it. So I think at this point for us creatives who, and, and people who know business, we need to start kind of meshing together and saying, look, I can handle this. You can handle that. This is the need. And then we start going for it um, and pushing through. Otherwise, I mean, it's just not going to get done. We can say, you know, this is what we need, but it's just not going to happen. Frankly, I stopped asking for people to help me. And I just, with my husband, I'm like, this is what we're doing. So, you know, get on the train or just sit on the side or whatever. But, you know, I mean, that's really what we've had to do to kind of propel different culture within our city. And I've seen that happen not only, and I'm using my own examples because I know the the triumphs and the defeats and all of those, you know, things that go into starting anything um, and being an entrepreneur, but also the, I've seen so many other people within, you know, the industries starting something and, and either a not receiving the support right away. So you can't even sustain your business, um, or be kind of being ahead of the times and, you know, people not really getting what they're doing. Um, or next, you know, just holding out until it evolves and people finally can get on the train and say like, Oh yeah, this is actually really cool. And I get why this need is here and why, you know, our creatives need these spaces or this funding, et cetera. Jake, uh, I think for uh, creatives and designers and uh, all industries uh, uh, proliferate, you need, first of all, government to kind of move out of the way. And there's two ways that they can actually support business. And one of it is through actively participating in funding those mechanisms. The other way they can do it is actually by loosening the constraints that allow you to come to market. And so oftentimes it's the legislations, the laws that are put in place that they put on the development community. So when those guys go to build those buildings, it's things like all this steel bracing that they make required in the state of California that adds to the costs of this building. So that rent and all that overhead and all those taxations passed on to those people. So the reason that we have high rent and the reason it's hard to get permits and approvals to do things is because you have so much regulation from the state, county, city, and on down. So one, you can either go out and ask for the grants and ask for them to fund your dream and help and get them to help you, or you can say, I got it, just move out of the way and I'll do it my own way. And so part of that is that bootstrap culture that Maritza talks about, like don't ask for permission, ask for forgiveness, just go out and do it. Um, and a lot of people don't like that, including the city. But at some point, you know, who was that guy we saw at uh, Matter? From the guy from Texas that was doing the pop-up parks and stuff. Oh, his name was Mike. No, his nope, name was not. His name was, name was J together. Jason, and it was yeah, Jason from um, Dallas. He was outside of yeah, Dallas, yeah, and it was like good streets or good neighborhoods yeah. or something like that. So this yeah. guy basically went out into blighted neighborhoods, and he just like painted his own crosswalks, 
And the city's like, that's illegal. And he's like, so what are you going to do about it? And at some point, he beautified the neighborhoods so well that they couldn't reprimand him. They couldn't fine him. Because at some point, they're like, actually, that looks pretty good. It's janky, but it looks good. And it works. And people came out, and he actually was, you know, had changed the culture of an entire neighborhood. But he didn't do it by going through the process and asking for support. He just said, fuck it, we're doing it. And they did it, and it worked very well. So I think there is, there's two sides to that when you want to create, I think, favorable conditions. And the number one thing I would ask is just get out of my way. And then if I need money, I'll come ask later. And then you can tell me no. But whatever. I think, the, I think the, so that's, a, that's a key part of success, is just removing the barriers or the obstacles for people to come to market with their ideas. And if you do that, you can drive rents down, and you can actually create more favorable conditions. And that's the number one thing I think that we need. All right. I guess on that note, we're going to end it. Um, I think this is really I, you all. You all are styling and uh, very inspiring. And uh, just want to say thank you again, panelists, for coming and talking. Thank you all for showing up. Great discussion. And we'll end it there. Have a good night. You've been listening to California Groundbreakers. Tonight's conversation was held on March 26, 2018 at the Clara Auditorium in Sacramento. Many thanks to our panelists, Ryan Bro, Maritza Davis, Jake Favor, Anthony Giannotti, Josie Lee, and Phoebe Verkau for joining us. Thanks to our host, the Clara Center for the Performing Arts, and to Roostaller Beer and Burley Beverages for providing the drinks for our cocktail conversation. A special thanks to our volunteers, Matt and Amanda Kennedy at The Trade, Jordan Bell, Deb Killeen, Yvonne Richardson, and Alan Young, who helped us with this event. And of course, thanks to you for listening. Find out when our next event is by going to our website, californiagroundbreakers.org.